Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York, which you may hear out the window during the course of this <laughs> broadcast. I am the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. We are pleased to report that Buoyancy Digital is the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos. Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who's been in digital media since 1997 and who has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms for IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising, sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers. Reach out to Scott at buoyancydigital.com or on LinkedIn at Scott R Media. Hey there, Jethro. Hey, Fred. Happy Monday to you. It is a happy Monday. Any day we're up and taking nourishment is a happy day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, good times. Well, indeed. Uh, so, how's your summer going? Summer has been great. It's been um, beautiful here in eastern Washington. Of course, we've had the uh, fire smoke like a lot of people here in the western mm, United yeah. States have. But um, other than that, it's been a very, very nice summer. How about for you? Well, of course, except for the fact that you've been sending some of that smoke <laughs> eastward to New York. Uh, no, it's been, it's been fine. As you know, as our devoted listeners know, I had a little bit of a break last month, but it's good to be back up and running. And uh, we're accelerating our work on the Center for Cyber Ethics, just to yeah. let people know that that project is underway. Um, so we're getting ourselves organized, waiting for the IRS to give us the official stamp of approval and go yes. from there. From what I understand, we'll be waiting a while still. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect our first anniversary will pass by the time yes. we get that. Yes, that is probably but true. That is all fine. So um, today, uh, the topic, I think, arose out of our conversations about how some social media apps are evolving and changing. And I was inspired by a great New York Times article that we'll have in the show notes about how TikTok is becoming the new Facebook. And, mm. you know, I think you know enough about this stuff, having watched the news and so forth, that, you know, there's always someone being denominated the next Facebook. Right. But this might actually be the one. And it's going to be really <laughs> this, interesting. This could really happen this time. This, yeah. right. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about what that might mean. And I think, you know, what our goal here is, is that, you know, as we've discussed, we're trying to really help parents understand this stuff. So every so often, we're going to do a deep dive or deepish dive into a specific social media platform. And today in the crosshairs is TikTok. And hopefully people will come away 
a little bit better informed about what some of the issues are. And I think a couple of weeks from now, when we go live again, uh, we'll line up WhatsApp and, and go through that because there really are some fascinating things happening with social media platforms. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that we have to recognize is that they are um, they are communicating what is the zeitgeist of what's going on in the world in a much more efficient and effective way than the news media. I mean, um, TikTok has like 49 million active daily users and there is no TV show or podcast or radio show that is approaching those kinds of worldwide numbers that I'm aware of. Well, no, actually that's just in the United States worldwide. Just in the United States? Just in the United States. I misread that. That's crazy. 49 million active daily users just in this country. Now, to be fair, when we talk about all of these social media apps and we're trying to make that comparison, right, between television shows or radio shows or, you know, your favorite podcast, the question is how many people are tuning into a specific content provider or video? Now, that being said, your point is still accurate. There are numerous videos on TikTok that have millions of viewers, which vastly exceeds most television programs, mm-hmm. you know, particularly with the splintering of television as we know it. I mean, yeah. me especially, but you and I both, to one degree or another, grew up in an era where television programs were events, right? You, yeah. Each week you tuned into a show. That, of course, has vanished. Yeah. Well, and with the Olympics that just happened um, there, they had some of the lowest ratings uh, for the Olympics that they've ever had. And we're not anywhere close to what TikTok is doing. And a lot of people were going straight to the athletes they cared about and following their social media and seeing what was going on with each of them. So that's totally fascinating, but we should probably back up just a minute and say, (laughs) what exactly is TikTok? Let's talk about that first and who, who created it. So let's start with what is TikTok? That sounds great. So this in general terms is probably familiar to most people, right? Mm -hmm. But TikTok is a free social media service that focuses on the sharing of brief videos typically with musical background of one kind or another, you know, which is provided within the app. Um, And those videos run from 15 seconds to three minutes. Actually, TikTok made a bit of a splash earlier this year when it expanded the potential length of the videos. So that's opening up a whole new range of storytelling, uh, monetization, uh, promotion, all the rest of that. And what is so fascinating to me is how uh, it used to be that in these really short clips, the challenge was how do you get as much content and information in there as possible? And now that we're expanding it to that they're expanding it to three minutes, then it's giving people more time to get things said, but they they've been practicing getting information out in a short amount of time. And my favorite TikTok video of all time that I should share is the one where there's a girl who is playing God and an angel and she the, she came back and reported that the the dinosaurs had all become extinct. And the uh, as she's playing God, she says, "What do you mean extinct?" And then she, the angel replies, "Well, you told me to send a meteor to the dinosaurs." And God says, <laughs> "I said meteor, make the dinosaurs meteor." She said, "Meteor? No, meteor." 
<laughs> Meteor? <laughs> and anyway, it's just, it is so well done and so wonderful. That girl just, she did an amazing job. I have no idea who she is. I'd love to credit. I'll try to find the video and put it in the show notes. But I mean, that's a great, that that's short one, yeah. thing is, is, I think, a perfect encapsulation of what is TikTok. Um, it is short, quippy, interesting things, lots of uh, um, lip syncing and things like that. Dances are popular on there also, but it's little things that you can enjoy. Definitely entertainment driven, though. There are a lot of people who are doing um, information on there as well. News reports, things like that, that just in a much different way. And I think a much more engaging way, to be honest. Well, and it, it's obviously incredibly engaging, right? Because this thing was launched in 2017 to a global audience. We'll get into that in a sec. But in four years, it's racked up, I think, over 2 billion mobile downloads worldwide. Wow. It's a staggeringly huge number of people. I mean, what's that? A quarter of the world's population has downloaded yeah. TikTok. So that's where the origin story of this obviously becomes relevant, yeah. right? Because well, this is not a bunch of guys in Silicon Valley who put yeah. this together. <laughs> and, and this is where I think going back to what you said, that this could be the next Facebook is that this is, this is much different because it was created by the Chinese and the Chinese app was called Daoyin. I, did I say that right? I'm not sure. You did. Yeah. Um, so Daoyin and the Chinese company is called ByteDance and um so can you help me understand last year, there was an issue where Trump said um, ByteDance, the creator of it, need to sell um, parts of it to an American company. And part of that is because of us having all of our information stored on Chinese servers and being concerned about that. But what else yeah, is going on I mean, there and how do we understand that? Because Biden reversed that too, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's not much more to, to put on top of what you just said in, in broad strokes. All right, we're not going to delve too deeply into the minutiae of it. But the basic idea was that, um, honestly, uh, you know, Trump was looking to put pressure on the Chinese government and Chinese companies as part of this ongoing trade war that was being waged. And one of the ways that he thought would be good to do that was to limit the ability of ByteDance, i.e. TikTok, to function in the United States. And so what he wanted to do by executive order was to shut down the ability of anyone in the United States to download that app. Now, that actually raises interesting First Amendment issues, which never really got confronted, but there probably would have been a legal challenge if that had stayed in effect. But this was done very late in the Trump administration. And as you correctly point out, um, you know, not long after he took office, Biden simply reversed that. And so it reverted back to the status quo. So I think the primary motivation was to irritate the Chinese government and, and make life a little bit harder for ByteDance. But as we'll be discussing going into this, um, there are legitimate privacy issues you know, given the fact that it is being run by a Chinese corporation. And there's always a question, right, between how much share or about how much sharing occurs between any given Chinese corporation and the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think one of the things that's important for people to understand, it's not really an issue for TikTok yet. Um, although in one area, which we'll get into, but the Daoyan app, which is the original app that ByteDance created, has 
an entire feed that is on every user's app, which promotes the Chinese government. <laughs> so, you know, it, all you have to do is slide right and you get the Chinese government propaganda feed. So one of the concerns legitimately is that um, not only could the information that TikTok collects be misused, but at some point would TikTok be pressured outside of China to provide that kind of propaganda. And one thing that has specifically arisen is that TikTok um, is used within China, but any videos referencing or discussing the Uyghur situation in Northwest China instantly gets suppressed. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that brings up the idea of the algorithm that that is another very unique aspect of TikTok is that the algorithm is it, from what I understand is much more finely tuned and much more predictive of the things that you would like to see um, and has tremendous reach in getting videos out there. I mean, oh, we're seeing yeah. Yeah. millions and millions of views of videos uh, within a very short amount of time that uh, Casey Newton, who writes platformer platformer.news, he mentioned mm -hmm. that it is a, um, <clears throat> it, it's a, a way to, uh, harness attention and keep you sitting in front of it for a long time. And I've heard stories of <laughs> people just getting lost in, in TikTok because it shows you the next video that you really want to see. And Instagram and Facebook have been trying to do this for years and are not nearly as good as TikTok um, at, at making people want to stay connected to it. Right. The only thing I've seen that is analogous to that, and I agree with you, the TikTok is head and shoulders above everyone else, um, artificial head and shoulders above everyone else, <laughs> is YouTube. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know those, those good old folks at Google um, have also honed that algorithm to a, a fairly well in terms of putting content in front of your eyeballs. And mm -hmm. as someone who, who likes going through cooking videos, I yeah. can attest as to how compelling some of that can be. So a couple of other things I think that are useful in terms of understanding this. Um, ByteDance, an incredibly lucrative company. The, the revenues for the company last year were somewhere on the order of about $34 billion. So that's, that's a chunk of money. And that also puts them on probably not the same playing field exactly as Facebook, but they're in the neighborhood, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that that, you know, when, when you look at companies setting their sites for, you know, revenues and for market position, you know, this, this is the competition that we're looking at. And from a parental point of view, the concern would be obviously the monetization. And monetization is going to come from two sources. It's going to come from the use of the information that they collect about their users, and it's going to come from providing advertisements to those users. And so those are the things that parents need to really reflect upon um, when they see their kids getting all excited about this. Yeah. And, and really, they do need to be concerned about their kids because that New York Times article that you mentioned showed that... Um, a th more than a third of those 49 million daily users in the United States are under the age of 14. Mm -hmm. And so 13 is where we typically say kids can have their own social media accounts. Um, and to have more than a third of those users be under that age is really quite alarming. And, you know, if, if, 
if parents are just letting their kids do this, then they're, they're exposed to those advertisers and how they're monetizing. But then they're also just exposed to some of the things on there that are just not appropriate for kids also. <laughs> right. Which TikTok, you know, admittedly tries to stamp out. They have community guidelines like every other social media platform. And as you said, their algorithm is quite uh, effective. It's it's quite sophisticated. And it's used not only to promote videos, but then also to stomp out things that shouldn't necessarily be on the platform. But the reality is, given the volume of material that is created, it is not possible for them to block everything that might be potentially mm-hmm. harmful. And I'll give you a specific example in a little bit. But I think one of the things that you know parents need to understand is that that age limit of 13 is driven by United States law. So we had the passage of the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, which prevents companies on the internet from collecting personally identifying information from anybody who's under the age of 13. So just by the terms of service for this particular app, kids of that age should not be using So if a child of, say, 10 or 11 is using TikTok to create their own videos and put them out in the world, they've either lied about their age, which, you know, is not going to come as a huge shock to anybody who's watched kids use the Internet, or parents are actively assisting them in doing that. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked before about what some of the, you know, parental slash cyber ethical issues are with that kind of decision. Yeah, and it's it's really unfortunate that it's at that at that point because you're when you do that you're teaching your children that this doesn't matter and we are free to break this rule and it's in there for a reason to protect your kids and we definitely want kids to be protected and that's one of the the drawbacks of these kinds of situations and giving kids devices and letting them have free reign or install whatever apps they want and you really need to be as a parent paying attention to what they're doing because you it, it's easy for them to to hide things and do things that you don't want them to see and also um the in the UK it's estimated that 44% of the of children ages 8 to 12 use TikTok which when you think about that that's nearly half like one in every two 8 to 12 year olds is not just not not just having access to a device, but also using TikTok itself, which is right. um, a, a highly addictive, very algorithmically tuned um, app that makes you want to be in there more often. Right. And, you know, maybe, you know, we say eight to 12 year olds, and I think you and I are both aware. I mean, you have younger kids than I do, but we've both been through this process. You know, we're sort of aware of the the technology sophistication of kids, right? Mm-hmm. Eight, nine, 10 year olds can use this stuff really well. But I sometimes find it more effective to remind people that when you're talking about an eight year old, you're talking about a third grader. And mm-hmm. then you know, that sort of frames the, the development, it frames the education, it frames the wisdom, really. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't trust your average third grader with many you know, uh, high risk devices. And yet 
far too many are carrying around smartphones and engaging in global platforms without the necessary supervision. And, and that is the trade-off. And it is really challenging for parents. Believe me, I completely get it. But that, yes, you may say, particularly during a pandemic, I want my kid to have a creative outlet. They love the music. Sometimes they do really funny skits on TikTok. It's great for them. And that really is fantastic. But but the trade-off is you need to be supervising that so you yeah. understand what they're seeing and who they're interacting with, particularly if they have misrepresented their age. Yeah, for sure. And my third grader about two months ago said, when we were talking about going to the store to get something, she volunteered to drive us there in the car. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> And I thought, wow, no, definitely not. And then she was like, oh, I'm just kidding. But if you let <laughs> you're me only, <laughs> You're only two thick phone books away from having a show for it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that when you think about it like that, you're like, that's just silly. I mean, you just laugh it off. And yet um, these kids have access to it. So you, you mentioned that one of the, the uh, justifications I've heard from parents is, well, they're just doing lip sync videos or dance videos or whatever the case is. And, yeah. and that's all well and good. And I'm sure that that creative outlet is important, um, but it, it's about how they're going about doing it also, which is um, concerning to me. So for example, you know, doing a, a lip sync or a dance video to get attention and likes, it's really going after the wrong thing. It's not so much an expression of creativity as it is a, a seeking for attention from people that they can't possibly know. Because if you get above 50 likes, then you are automatically in territory of people you don't know. <laughs> so um, yeah. when you're in a third grader, so they're, they're going for the wrong reasons. And, um, and then they're also getting into things that could be inappropriate for them to be doing as well. And so that I think is important. So there are good uses for it. So people creating amusing videos that, that we talked about, I think that that's, that's mm -hmm. good. Entertainment is good. Laughing is good. Um, there, <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah. There is, um, there's good education. Uh, so the, we've talked about the, um, the high school chemistry teacher who uses TikTok to teach all the time. Phil Cook is his name, I think. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely he does wonderful videos. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's also good kinds of influencing. And depending on where you lean, some influences are not good and other influences are good. Um, and we can we can be good with that. And then um, th those are ways that, that people use it. And you can follow a specific person and see everything they post. You can also follow specific hashtags uh, about a specific thing and see uh, everything that's going on there. So there's lots of different ways to use it that are positive and good. Um, but there's also some other things. And I think you've got some good anecdotes to, uh, oh, to share with us God. about this. this. This is merely, Jethro, the tip of the TikTok iceberg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so were we tip talk, maybe is that the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, let's just start um, a little bit more broadly. And you and I were laughing about how this, this has very much a, oh my God, Elvis Presley is on Ed Sullivan and kids, you can look that up on Wikipedia um, moment to it, you know, about, you know, the horror because of the dancing that, that Elvis Presley did when he went on national TV. But, you know, 
without sounding too much like an old fogey, one of the things that parents need to think about if their kids are going to dive into the TikTok world is that the music clips that are available for background music for all of these videos are drawn from contemporary music. And there may be content within that that is um, uncomfortable for parents or raises questions that they don't necessarily want to answer at 9, 10, 11 years old. So well, just be a, go ahead. If I may, this is the other thing that um, that they have done so well compared to YouTube and mm. Instagram is bringing in the music intentionally rather than taking it down as soon as somebody uses it. I've mm-hmm. posted so many videos on YouTube that used background music that uh, was you know copyrighted and mm-hmm. I used it just as background music for what I was doing. And even things that I thought were safe to do that with were taken down by YouTube. And so the opposite of that is what TikTok has done, which is said, here's this music you can use and we encourage you to use it. And right. that is taking a completely opposite approach to that whole issue. And people love music and they love interacting with it and hearing it. And so they will use it again and again and again. And that's part of the virality of what TikTok has created. Absolutely. And that's what actually does make them a potential threat to something like Facebook. Because was it uh, 2016 or 2017? um, Dayun basically joined with a service called Musical.ly, musical.ly. And that's where the music comes from. And I would assume without having delved into that piece of it, that they worked out licensing agreements with all of these different artists, which allows them to use these clips in the videos. And you're absolutely right. It's a brilliant approach because the music is right there for the kids. There's no licensing issues. So, Mm -hmm. you know, from that perspective, again, we get back to this idea of cyber ethical use of content and of copyright. That's ideal. You know, that's exactly what kids should be doing, which is finding licensed content and using it. So that's all good. But that being said, as a parent, one of the things that you're constantly asking yourself is, is this content appropriate for my child at the time that they're using this app? And that should be an ongoing question. You may not care what your 16 or 17 year old listens to, but you may well very you may very well care what your nine year old is putting into the earbuds. So there's that. You know the other thing too, and again this becomes an age issue, is that in terms just of the dance moves that people do, you know, or the clothing that they wear when they do them, this is all part of the media environment in which your child is growing up. And so the question really is, how much of it do you want them to see? What is appropriate? What kind of messages, what kind of images are they absorbing when they watch this? Mm-hmm. You know, look, you're in the you're in the thick of this, Jethro. So Yeah, for sure. I don't know how and, you deal with it. <laughs> well, I intentionally do not let my kids use TikTok. And yeah. if we ever yeah. watch a video from TikTok, we watch it together as a family in typically an isolated situation so that it's not it's not about the feed and the algorithm, but it's about us making a conscious choice to to watch specific things and we do that with all the media that we watch that it's not yeah. just sit and veg um although this summer i'm not gonna lie there's been a lot more of that 
give yourself a little bit of a break, right? (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you really have to make some specific choices and say, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to spend our time. And, and I encourage all parents to think deeply about that and make better choices about it for the sake of your children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, look, you, you offered a nice segue into the anecdotal piece of this. And I think, um, you know, like with every social media platform, there's both good examples and there's bad examples. We'll just, let me give you one of each, um, just to kind of launch us into the, uh, (laughs) we'll, we'll segue into the risk section after this, but, um, one of my favorite stories from recent TikTok news was of this woman in the midst of all of this pandemic stuff, which is just crazy. She sees some guy put a dance video on TikTok. And in the comment section, the guy must have gotten hundreds of comments, you know, for his his video. But she said, you know, I really fancy you. You look like a really nice guy. (laughs) And he wrote back, he saw the comments somehow and he wrote back and now they're dating. And it just, you, you see where this could go. The TikTok clearly has the potential to branch out into every aspect of human relationships. And that's kind of sweet. I love that stuff. Yes. You know, more typical and, and there, you know, we could talk about the educational piece some other time, but a more typical situation is that someone who's in a work environment is using TikTok in an inappropriate way. You know, so the example that I had was an English police officer who decided that he was going to do a bunch of topless dancing, you know, male police officer. So maybe a little less edgy, but still not very appropriate. And then decided he would um, hone his sexualized repertoire of jokes on TikTok. And, you know, this is the kind of thing you and I talk about endlessly that people don't necessarily think through the consequences of what they're doing with social media. And the you know TikTok is as much of a problem as any other app, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, you name it. So again, you know when we get to the um, you know cyber ethics for educators, cyber ethics for law enforcement, yeah. everybody should be aware of what can go wrong. Yeah, well, and it's so easy for things to go wrong. Somebody interprets something differently or understands sure. differently what you're trying to do, or you just said something completely inappropriate or did something completely inappropriate that typically you would never do in public. And yet the, uh, the app feature makes you feel more anonymous, even though you're going for, you know, thousands and millions of views, which, <laughs> right. you or, know, <laughs> right. Or you get caught up in the culture of it. Like, you know, here's this really cool dance video and you've got people demonstrating different moves or inventing different dances. And Hey, I just want to be part of the party, you know, but again, you got to think about context and role. Now it might be an entirely different situation if this guy was a native American and he was showing off a native dance as part of some festival Mm -hmm. there being, you know, a shirtless dancer would totally make sense, but not necessarily doing a lewd move dance as an English police officer. Right. But what do I know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about some of the things that parents should consider as they're sure. dealing with this. We've already talked a little bit about it. Um, privacy is certainly one of those things. And um, TikTok, like most social media apps, asks for your uh, age when you start. That's in order to protect um, 
from kids getting on, but also there's, you know, you start adding to this social graph of who you are mm, and, right. and that's one of those key pieces. So privacy is certainly an issue. It, it really is. And I, when I was researching this and you and I were discussing this show, I was really blown away by the idea that TikTok claims at least not to simply use the birthday as the marker of how old someone is, but they're actually using that same AI linked with facial recognition in an attempt to identify underage users. And on top of that, they say that they will occasionally buy information from third parties to help with this same identification. So here we've got a Chinese-based company <laughs> using facial recognition on users worldwide. Where's that information going? How long is it held? What other purposes might it be used for? Or alternatively, they're buying information about your child. You know, so for instance, they could be basing that on an email address. They could be basing it on an IP address. They could be basing it on a unique mobile ID. All of this stuff is part, as you say, of the social graph that's out there. And it is, incidentally, all of the stuff that law enforcement uses to mm -hmm. identify potential uh, you know, malfeasance online. So the more information your child is putting out and the earlier they do so, the easier it is for a company like ByteDance to use that information in ways that you might not be comfortable with. Right. And, and obviously, they will say in response, we're just doing this. What was their statement? As is standard practice across our industry, we yeah. conduct, quote unquote, high level age modeling to better understand our users. Well, that's precisely the problem. The more they understand their users, the more that algorithm you were talking about gets honed and the more they can hone their advertising. Well, and, and here's another issue is that with that, you can start, you know, with IP targeting or fingerprinting or um, mobile device ID numbers and things like that. You can start building a database and with 49 million active users just in the United States, you're getting a lot of data. And when it becomes that large, then you can start to make assumptions because you see the same types of things happening all the time. As a as an example, mm -hmm. when sure. you would go to youtube.com while on the school network at the middle school that I worked at, the amount of um, uh, uh, fighting video games and uh, softcore porn that you would see in your recommended feeds, even with the protections and the filters and all that kind of stuff in the school, those things yeah. would still pop up all the time. Sure. And so whenever, you know, I would go to a presentation at a school or whatever, I would always make sure that I have the video downloaded and I'm never playing it live from YouTube because of what the related search or related videos are yeah. going to pop up as. And, and that's something where what I learned was that my students were just looking for that kind of stuff all the time. And so <laughs> that's, that's what came up if you were on that IP address. And so even with all the protections we tried to put in place, we still couldn't get around some of those things because YouTube understood that this collection of IP addresses is interested in this kind of content. So we're yep. going to deliver that and make it easy for them to get it. That is exactly 
correct. It's a great summation of yeah. <laughs> how this stuff pops up. And and think about this, you know, I've I've played around with the TikTok app a little bit. And when you think about how fast those videos are fed to you, right? I think the mm-hmm. point you made earlier was really important for parents in that, you know, the the video, let's say it lasts 30 seconds, there's no there's no selection process, right? Like right. with YouTube, the video ends, you actually have to choose on the right-hand side what the next video is. You do a search or whatever. In TikTok, the, the video you just finished scrolls up and the next one starts playing immediately. And yeah. so the, the algorithm has removed all choice from you Yeah. in terms of what you see. And you know, obviously you can do searches and so forth. But once you set that ball in motion, it yeah. just feeds you as long as you sit there. Yep. And Instagram Reels are the same way. And YouTube actually has an autoplay feature that is, I think, turned on by default that it'll play the next video automatically. And, and we see I, where this is going, right? They're all competing yeah. for those same eyeballs using yes. the same technology. Right. Yep. So I had muted a YouTube video on my computer a couple of weeks ago, and I came back like four hours later. And it was just looping through all the YouTube videos. And I was like, oh, what a waste. <laughs> so anyway, so there are other other things parents should look out for. Unsupervised purchases, which uh, TikTok has this feature where you can do TikTok rewards and you can get coupons for real world things. And so once a kid has a coupon, they may be very tempted to use it, even if they don't need the thing and could try to find a way to, to get that um, uh, among other things. Or they could sell it to somebody and and get actual cash. They could trade it. I have, you know, in this update for cyber traps for the young, the, the the illicit use of money by kids has exploded in the 10 years since the first book. It's, there's a lot to cover. Yeah. Well, and even um, my favorite stories about kids creating black markets at schools based on the reward system that we created for the school, man, there's some good stories there. So we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about that at I, another time. I love <laughs> well, let me tell you real quickly, my favorite, just to divert. Um, when I did Cyber Traps for the Young, I was blown away. We talked about the creativity of kids and how inspiring it is. So these kids would lose their phones because of some, you know, disciplinary action. And other kids had created a black market of old phones from their homes. No cell coverage because there was no SIM chip, but you could still use them with the Wi-Fi because they all had. (laughs) So as long as the phone was charged, these kids were renting out these old phones so kids could get online even when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Brilliant slash scary. (laughs) Yes, totally. I had that happen at my school and kids are renting out phones for $5 a day. And oh, it's just wild, just <laughs> wild. Yeah. We definitely need to talk more about that. Cause it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so a couple other things we talked about um, uh, challenges that parent or things parents should look out for. One is inappropriate content. We mentioned that briefly about um, lyrics that are inappropriate dance moves, and then also risky challenges around um, oh, yeah. different things that you do body image, self-image, things like that. So let's talk um, about those for a minute because these have actually gotten media attention and can lead to real physical injury. Um, what what are some of your thoughts on that? Well, this is, I mean, this is really just a brutal area um, and it's, you know, scary as a parent. I, there's no way around it that, you know, 
we're all aware of the peer pressure aspect of childhood. We've all gone through it. We've watched our kids go through it. Um, it's, it's tough. The thing with social media is that the scope and the reach of peer pressure is so much greater. And mm -hmm. so we have seen over the last really decade, um, the rise of high risk challenges, high risk um, activities, um, and, and a couple of concrete examples may be useful. So one of them is the quote unquote blackout challenge. Mm -hmm. And the idea, you know, and, and keep in mind that um, we unfortunately have to refer to these as cross-platform threats because right. they show up. They show up in Snapchat, they show up on Instagram, all the rest of it. But the blackout challenge is, is pretty straightforward, that you basically try to strangle yourself for a few seconds to cause you to black out. And you either film yourself, of course, you risk dropping your phone, which is dumb, or you have a friend, which is probably the safer way to do it, quote unquote, um, film you while you're doing this. But, you know, just uh, what was it uh, earlier this year, the latest example of a 10 year old Italian girl. And you see these are global things, right? They're not limited yeah. by language or country or anything else. So she tried to do this and she wound up strangling herself to death. And, yeah. you know, yeah, these things grab the headlines and they're incredibly rare, but the fact that they happen at all is mm -hmm. deeply disturbing. Yeah, and so sure. parents need to be aware of that. Another one that has gotten a lot of media attention, um, which is really, truly disturbing, is the quote unquote blue whale challenge. I don't know if you've run across this. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, tell us what it is, though. Yeah, yeah the blue whale challenge is this um, cascading series of challenges. So I think that in the most typical version, there's theoretically 50 of these. And, and you do more and more severe things to yourself over a period of days or weeks or months. But the 50th challenge basically is to commit suicide. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a non-zero number of kids who have in fact done that and, or who have, you know, scarred themselves or, or other things. So, you know, look, there's, this is the kind of thing that just freaks people out. And of course, headline writers love this stuff and we can't yeah. underscore enough how rare it is, but it is something that people should be aware of because the outcome is so sufficiently dire that you want to do everything you can to make sure you're aware of what's going on. Well, and this really brings up again, the, the negative side effect of having kids younger than 13 using it is that they can get exposed to these, not know what's going on, not know how to talk to anybody about it, and then can go down this dark path that they don't have the capability mm -hmm. to reason through because their brains are not developed yet. Um, yeah. And so, you know, anybody under, 25 probably has similar concerns, <laughs> but uh, well, you know, medically your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until 25 to 30, yeah. which is your decision-making capability. Um, yeah. Unfortunately for the two of us, women develop that capability sooner than, yes. than men do, Very but true. Um, sadly, but look, you know, I think the other thing Jethro that really underscores your point about the age is that some of the challenges just look like goofy fun, right? Right. So there's one that's been floating around recently about um, throwing a bottle, a squeeze bottle of honey into the freezer. 
and letting it sit there for 15, 20 minutes, and then squeezing out the semi-frozen treat into your mouth. And yeah, at the end of the day, that's probably unlikely to kill anyone unless you're diabetic and you have a severe insulin spike or you, for some reason, choose some other concoction that is dangerous. Right. But but it sounds like fun, right? It sounds kind of goofy. And you get these people with millions of followers doing this. And that's the influencing piece that is at the background of all of this conversation. Who are your kids watching? Who are your kids listening to? And mm-hmm. who is influencing quite literally how they behave? Yeah. And, and you really need to pay attention to that because I... I have seen and you have seen and probably anybody listening to this has seen how somebody's mood or feelings about themselves have changed because of them being exposed to to social media period because it is naturally a comparison game it is naturally a yes. am I good enough game and those thoughts are real and and we have to be paying attention to that and knowing how it's impacting our youth because it does make a big difference in their lives and, and could lead them to make horrific choices in the name of pleasing somebody out there online that we could never understand who that person really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it, look, it, knowledge is power, as the old Roman saying goes. And I think that parents should not be shy about having as much information about their child's online life as possible. And, yeah. and when it's, you know, when they're under the age of 13, quite honestly, that knowledge should be nearly absolute because yeah. for all of the risks you're talking about, obviously we're in the business of raising adults or future adults. Yes. So there is a process by which we need to let go and, and give people space to explore and, and to make mistakes and so forth. But, but, you know, given the, the cost to benefit ratio of some of these things, you know, at the extreme end, the cost of some of these challenges vastly outweighs whatever creative benefit the child might have at the age of eight or nine. There are so many other outlets. I might say, for instance, community theater, where they're actually dealing with real people singing real songs, you know, something like that, or, you know, any number of potential options. Um, But this social media world is a construct And it is an algorithmically driven construct that may not be in your child's best interest. Yeah. And, and really, you know, you need to make the choice as a parent, whether or not you allow this, but you need to also make more than the choice of whether or not it's allowed. And that's, I think the real key here is that if you allow it, you need to have discussions, talk about it. You need to figure out what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And you need to be in charge of, of controlling that and being aware of what's going on. The, the real problem I see is that access is a on or off switch. And <laughs> when the switch is flipped, then it's a flood of information and different stuff that they can get involved in. Yeah. And the switch is off, then they don't have access to it. And so you need to find a way to do it appropriately for your family and make that choice together so that you know what is going on, what you're getting into and, and what kids are using it for. And this, it'd be a lot easier if you, 
<laughs> if these things didn't exist, it'd be a lot easier if you just said no completely. But you also need to teach your kids so that when they turn 18, they don't go and binge on all this stuff and then, um, you know, have troubles with it later on. So it really mm-hmm. is an education piece that has to start early and you need to be talking about it a lot. Yeah, it's, it's crazy stuff. I think back on this Jethro and my kids were 14 and 12 when the iPhone was released. And it was mm-hmm. obviously just not remotely something that they would wind yeah. up handling. And, and, and that four and six years between the re- release of the iPhone and, and them becoming adults, man, it looks so easy now compared yeah. to what parents are confronting these days. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. It really is. So I think um, what we had discussed was that we would walk people out with some suggestions on how to kind of cope with this a little bit. So why don't you take us through some of that and close yeah. on a positive note? Yeah. So um, <laughs> it, this is all manageable. And so it's not the end of the world. So it's not like you you can't ever touch it. It's not like you can't ever talk about it. I think setting some boundaries in place is really good. Number one, say you cannot have the app until you're 13. And if you want to watch videos with your kids, totally fine. In fact, I encourage that because then you can talk about what's going on and what you're seeing. So I, I was in Kansas City a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were talking about the the TV show Ted Lasso, which is just a phenomenal TV show, by the way. Absolutely. Totally team Love Ted it. here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so really well done. And there are a couple aspects that I think are really great. Number one, the two lead female characters are not catty and fighting, and they have a real appropriate, healthy, supportive relationship, which I think is fantastic. So much of what we see in the media is women fighting with each other and and not being appropriate in that way. These two women are like totally supportive of each other, and it's awesome. The second thing is, uh, as I was talking with a teacher, she said that she watches it with her 12 or 11 year old daughter or something like that. And um, she hadn't watched that next episode yet. And I said, well, you know, you need to know that there there's masturbation and oral sex in there. And so you should, you should be prepared for that. And she said, Oh, good. That's great. Because now we can talk about that and what Mm -hmm. it means. And so instead of being afraid of these things, talk about them with your kids and your kids are seeing them already. So you might as well have the conversation with them about it. And it's, <laughs> that is a truth right there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Trust me. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the kids are, are talking about it anyway. So talk about it with them and, and don't shy away from it and say, this is evil. We can't do it. Or this is bad. We can't do it. Really take the time to say you're interested in this app. Let's do it together. When you're 13, we can talk about maybe you having an account, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it, but at least set that boundary. Pay attention to what they're doing. If you've already given it to your kids, it's tough to take it away and leads to some other challenges. So pay attention to what they're doing and then talk about the challenges that they're facing. And if you are 13 to 15, then TikTok does make your account private by default, Um, but you should also pay attention to that as well, especially if your kid has said they're over 18, which um, pretty much every kid in the world will do because they know that's when they get this good stuff that they really want. So you see, that's exactly the good stuff. (laughs) So they're, they're, they're wired (laughs) to accelerate their age. And that is absolutely normal for kids to do. You know, they're curious. They want to understand what their bodies are doing. 
they're infused with all of this mm-hmm. culture, right? We talk about this all the time. These kids are growing up in a specific mix and they want to know what's going on. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I think the other thing is Common Sense Media. They have a guide for more yeah. suggestions and we'll link to that on there as well. And I mean, there's there's good that can happen. There's also bad things. Don't be afraid of it. Just know what's going on and talk with your kids about it. I feel like we say that every single time we talk about anything, right? <laughs> Thank God, because you know, sooner or later, the message will get through. And <laughs> the one thing I do want to close out with is that um, certainly if you've been listening to this, you've been educating yourself, but I would really urge parents if there is a new app that's out there, or if there's an app their kids are interested in, take a few minutes to use the search engine of your choice, whether it's Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo or whatever it is, put in TikTok and teens or TikTok and parental concerns and do some reading about what might be of interest to you and what you should talk to your kids about. Just basic homework. Yeah. We were supposed to end on a a positive note. And then you had this ominous fire engine or something go by in the background that (laughs) come on. (laughs) Well, look, I I have a great little apartment in Brooklyn, but it's a block and a half from a fire station. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not much I can do about that. That's right. Anyway, great conversation anyway. There we go. Excellent conversation, Jethro. Thank you. Uh, That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, parenting, cybersecurity, privacy, and yes, again, the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share it with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved what we were talking about today. And if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice. And if you want to donate to the Center for Cyber Ethics, go to centerforcyberethics.org slash donate. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you on Thursday. 